Strange Ride is brought to you commercial-free through the generous support of our patrons. Visit strangerideshow.com and click on Donate to help keep the history of the weird on the digital airwaves. On January 30th, 1925, a man named Floyd Collins entered Sand Cave, hoping that one day he could turn this cave into a great tourist attraction. He lived in Kentucky, right outside of Cave City, and one of the main forms of commerce for this town was cave tourism. Mammoth Cave was only four miles from his home, and the competition was fierce, but Floyd was not deterred. He grew up basically living in these caves and was known around town as Kentucky's best caver, and he managed to find a beautiful place hidden away that he knew would be his ticket to getting tourists to his cave. Unfortunately, it was too difficult to reach. He would work every day scooping rocks and clearing the way inside of the cave to try and make it safe for tourists to visit. After working in the cave for a few hours on that fateful day, Floyd noticed his lantern was slowly dying. It was time to head back to the surface world to refuel. As he squeezes through the tight crevices that are so snug that he must lie flat on his back with his arms pressed up against his sides, he accidentally knocks over his lantern and is now in pitch blackness. Today, I will be talking about the nightmare that became Floyd Collins' life as he desperately tried to survive while his friends and family tried their hardest to free him from Sand Cave. Welcome to Strange Ride, where I tell the smartest men I know the weirdest things I know. My name is Savannah Barrett, and I will be your guide today, but you're not the only ones going on this ride. I have Luke Kinneman here with me today. Hello. Yes, and then of course we have the smartest man I know, Rob C. Thompson of Occult Confessions fame. What a nightmare. What a nightmare. Yep. Literally, this is going to be scarier than uh, the Five Nights at Freddy's episode, I think. (laughs) Because it's real, right? (laughs) Yeah, because it's real and scary. Cave rescue YouTube videos have become like a weird hobby Hmm. interest of mine. I don't know. It sounds terrifying. It is. But I find it, I think the thing is, I just find it so fascinating that these people put themselves into these situations and then the lengths people have to go in order to help rescue these people. It's insane. I can't wrap my mind around it. Well, let's hope you can wrap our minds around it this day. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I at least understand why Floyd went into the cave, but okay. We can head into it, but let's do our pledge. I solemnly commit myself to keep my hands, arms, feet, and legs inside the vehicle at all times while on the strange strange ride. Luke's new to this show. I didn't hear you, Luke. Yeah. Oh, I don't know that. Luke just showed up here because Luke is an expert on men being inside of things that they shouldn't be. That's why we had Luke come and do this show. That sounds really weird. The way you said that. That was the point. This is a podcast. Saying things weirdly is sort of the thing. Let me paint a picture for you of what the Mammoth Cave region was like around this time before I better explain the predicament Floyd Collins ended up in. It was an international tourist destination that was one giant system of caves all connected together, and different people owned all the different openings to the system of caves. The soil in this part of Kentucky wasn't great for farming, so one of the only ways people made a living around this area was cave tourism. But that introduced another problem. There was an abundance of caves, but not enough tourists. This led to something called the Kentucky Cave Wars. The basic idea is that along the main road to Cave City, there were a bunch of different businessmen who would sit there and advertise their caves, and the easier your cave was to get to, the more tourists showed up. 
This caused other caves to start sabotaging the entrances to their competition's caves. They'd block their entrances with cars or dig holes so deep that no one could pass by. They'd have people sneak into the competition's caves at night and vandalize them so they weren't pretty enough for tourists to want to go there. They would hire people called cappers who would dress as policemen and tell tourists, this cave's closed because it's too dangerous. Some people ended up even ended up uh, shooting each other in the streets over these cave wars. So... Well, there's a job for theater students. <laughs> Cappers? Yeah. No, that's a that's an acting gig. <laughs> Isn't it against the law to impersonate an officer though? I didn't say it was a legal job for theater students. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess it, it all depends on the wage. That's true. And maybe like you, like you could sort of like sneak around it if you like wear like a public safety officer badge like people won't know the difference right the badge actually says cave police or something like yeah, cave oh, guard like, oh, that kid's too dangerous or, no 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 just yeah it was not just high visibility vest you can get through a lot of stuff that way <laughs> right yeah i wasn't impersonating a police but i was impersonating a cave security officer <laughs> Floyd Collins grew up just four miles away from Mammoth Cave and would spend most of his time exploring the caves as young as six years old. He became an expert caver and was selling some of the rocks and Native American artifacts that he would find while he was exploring. He would go places that other people wouldn't dare, and he genuinely loved exploring the caves. His neighbor said that he would enter one part of Mammoth Cave and then pop up his head like a gopher across town from where he entered. Floyd dropped out of school by age 10 and basically became a cave diver as a full-time job ever since. He wanted to find his own cave to bring tourists to see, and in 1917, he would discover his own cave. It was a beautiful canyon that featured these gypsum crystals that were that are like, um, I don't know, do you know what they look like? I don't know if that's like a thing that people know. I didn't know it. I think it's worth describing. <laughs> okay. uh, they are, they look like prickly, but they're like little like almost <laughs> like fried onions but with instead of it being breading it's crystals and they're very pretty but they're apparently very sharp but they and they kind of looked like flowers apparently in this cave that Floyd found and uh in the light they shined so beautifully that Floyd knew instantly that he had a tourist attraction on his hands However, there was a problem. His crystal cave was out of the way and in a relatively remote area compare, compared to the rest of Cave City. In order to get to his cave, tourists would have to pass all of his competitors' caves first, and they were much easier to get to. This didn't stop him from advertising it and trying his hardest to get people to show up, but this, of course, led to Floyd getting dragged into the Kentucky Cave Wars. His competitors knew that Crystal Cave was special, and they marched up to Colin's family home one day and demanded that Floyd hand over the deed to his cave. When he refused, the men just started beating him right there in his front lawn. And they might have continued, or uh, they might have killed him, but then his brother Homer came out and scared the men off with a shotgun by shooting it in the air. So cave exploring meant so much to Floyd that this did not deter him. He actually ended up seeking a cave entrance closer to town than all of his competitors' caves, and this entrance was Sand Cave. Was anybody here dressed like a policeman? I do not know about that, actually. Maybe Homer with the shotgun. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Be wise, just in case. No questions I asked. mean, they literally started beating the man in his front lawn. I don't... I feel like that's you know stand your ground law or whatever <laughs> like oh yeah yeah like, and it sounds like it was fairly impromptu so <laughs> i just that is just crazy to be like give me your cave N no but let's beat the shit out of him <laughs> like it's 
so weird. Floyd would spend up to 12 hours a day exploring Sand Cave and removing rocks in order to widen the cave enough for tourists to come and visit. Now, this was not an easy cave to maneuver in. He would have to spend most of his time traversing the cave on his hands and knees, crawling through pools of snowmelt and sharp distal uh, sharp gypsum crystals that line the walls, which would cut and get caught on his clothes. About a hundred feet into the cave, he reaches a point called the turnaround room. It's a wider opening in the cave, but the only way forward from there is a nine-inch wide crack in the wall. This is how the room received its name. People would see that crack and then proceed to turn around and leave the cave like sane people. Floyd, however, being an experienced caver, slid into that crack headfirst, releasing all the air in his body in order to make his torso small enough to fit through that crack. The walls were so tight that he would not be able to move his arms, so he would paddle his feet and slowly inch himself forward. On the other side of the squeeze was a wider opening and then a chute that led directly downwards 10 feet. Floyd flipped himself around and slid down the chute feet first upon... And upon reaching the bottom, slipped himself into a new horizontal opening that was barely wide enough to fit his body. He continued to inch his way down the tiny path, which was so tiny he couldn't move his arms, attempting to reach a much wider opening at the very end of the path. Um, so at the very, very end of this path was like a tiny, tiny opening that led into this giant, beautiful crystal cave. A another one not the same crystal cave i don't think but he notices that his lantern is beginning to darken so he slowly starts to paddle his feet inching himself out of the path while pushing his lantern with his shoulder he accidentally bumps it too hard knocks it over and it shatters in the pitch black he begins moving his feet around trying to find something he can push against to help himself get out of this tiny path um, his right foot finds purchase on what Floyd thinks is the cave wall and pushes against it. Unfortunately for him, it was not the cave wall, but a giant rock which falls directly onto his ankle after he applies pressure to it. Floyd begins to wiggle his body and foot the best he can to try and remove the rock, but doing this causes loose gravel above him to fall down and cover his entire body. He is stuck 60 feet below the surface in a cave barely big enough for him, now trapped under pounds of gravel in the pitch black. He is essentially wearing a straitjacket made of stone. Realizing he is trapped, he does the only thing that he can do and starts calling for help. He does this until he has no more voice left. He falls asleep, wakes up, and then begins to scream again. He was stuck like this for 25 hours before anybody came looking for him. Um, wow. Yep. It's like a new age weighted blanket, just blanket of stone. I was actually yeah. thinking that too. And I was like, for a split second, this probably felt really good. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> to each their own. <laughs> oh, I love weighted blankets. New therapy. The reason that it took so long for people to come looking for him is because Floyd had three different places that he would stay. So when he didn't show up to one of his homes, the host would just assume that he was staying with somebody else. And on top of that, Floyd was sometimes known to sleep in the caves. So the longest time that he ever spent in a cave was 30 hours. So it wasn't unusual for people to not see him for at least a day. However, people did eventually go to check on him, and they saw his jacket hung up at the entrance of the cave and figured something might be wrong. The men that came to check on him were way too big to fit into the cave, but a 17-year-old by the name of Jewel Estes was able to make it all the way through to the turnaround room before he lost his nerve and refused to go any further. 
The boy called out Floyd's name, and Floyd called back, saying he was stuck and needed help. The boy reported back to the surface world. A group of locals heard about this, and one by one, men would go into the cave, reach that turnaround room, and promptly leave the cave. Some saying that they wouldn't go back in there for all the money in the world. It wasn't until... Was there there something in that turnaround room? Is it, like, haunted? The only way forward... You said it's only about nine inches big, right? So it's wicked tiny. Yes, the only way forward from that room is to fit into a nine-inch, like, hole. Hole. Like crack in the wall, yeah, but but it must be spooky too. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, I yeah. mean, it's like pitch yeah. black, other than your lantern. And then, I, I mean, it. If somebody told me I had to fit in a nine inch crack, I'd be like, well, I guess I'll just die. And you had also said that Floyd, because he's been doing this basically since he was ten, he knew how to control yeah. his breath and kind of compress himself down a little bit more. Yes. So, like his expertise probably, you know, surpassed. The other folks in town. Oh, it definitely did. He, I, I think the article I read said he was a victim of his own talent because, like, nobody could get to him <laughs> because he was so good at uh, caving. It wasn't until 4 p.m. on January 31st that Floyd's brother Homer would brave the cave and actually manage to reach his brother. As soon as Homer slid down the 10 foot chute, he knew that getting Floyd out would be incredibly challenging. So, Picture a capital L. That is basically what Floyd was stuck in. It So the vertical part of the L is the 10-foot chute. And the horizontal part of the L lying flat or is where Floyd is stuck lying flat on his back, covered in rocks and gravel. Um, so... The 10-foot chute is only wide enough to fit one person, and if you slide down feet first, your own body gets in the way of reaching Floyd and the rubble that surrounds him. Like, you can't bend down uh, because you're held in too tight by the cave. So the only way to help and get the gravel off of him is to slide down head first, uh, but this now you're digging up rubble, like, upside down. And it's a lot of rubble. Before he begins scooping away the rocks, he gets food and water for Floyd and a rag to put over his face to protect him from the water that keeps dripping on his face. So not only was he stuck in this, like, horrible position, but water was, like, perfectly dropping on the center of his forehead over and over again, like, for the 25 hours that he was stuck down there. So it was a painful process getting the gravel off of his brother Floyd. The skin started to peel off of Homer's fingers, and every time he removes gravel, some more would start falling from the ceiling and take its place. Homer left the cave to rest, and on the surface, there was now a crowd of people who had come to gawk at the situation and offer up unwanted ideas that would most likely end up getting Floyd killed anyways. As Homer rested, he asked people to take blankets and food to Floyd, and many men went into the cave to do so, but lost their nerve before reaching him. And in shame, they hid the food and the blankets, and upon their return to the surface would tell Homer, oh yes, he loved the food, and he's all wrapped up, don't you worry. In reality, while Homer rested, Floyd was completely alone in the cave for the most of the day on Sunday, February 1st. The next morning, as Homer is sitting in his tent recovering, he is approached by a very young-looking man who says that he is a news reporter. This man is named William Skeets Miller. 
he begins trying to ask Homer questions, but Homer refuses to, ans to answer. He says, If you want information, there's a hole right over there. You can go down and find out for yourself. Miller then did just that. He was small enough and brave enough to actually make it down to Floyd. Miller tried asking some interview questions, but Floyd was delirious and mostly unresponsive. Because of people outside of the cave lighting fires and causing the snow to melt, the snow melt was going into the cave, and the water from the melt was dripping right onto Floyd's head and pooling underneath his body. He was freezing to death, as well as all the other health complications that come with not being able to move your body for 70-something hours. Miller rushed back to the surface to report the situation, and Homer, seeing the young reporter covered in mud and cuts, knew that he was able to reach Floyd, and suddenly he was filled with a renewed hope. Homer wasn't the only one who could reach Floyd anymore. Got this intrepid reporter digging down yeah, into the cave. Man, yeah, You got old Skeet down in the cave. <laughs> old Skeet. Skeeting his way down. Skeet's honestly the true hero of this story. So later that same morning, a new man entered the scene. His name was Robert Burden, an arrogant firefighter who claimed he was going to be the one to get Floyd out of the cave. Despite others saying the same thing, Burden was actually able to make it down to Floyd as well. He determined that he could get Floyd out if they attached a rope to him and had a bunch of men pull really hard. Floyd, in his weakened state, agreed to this plan even though it might tear off his foot. Burden returned to the surface and told his plan to Homer, Miller, and now the two, the crowd of 200 gawkers who were just standing around and drinking and throwing out their two cents on every idea. The gawkers fought back against this idea, saying he'll lose his foot and bleed out, or the gypsum crystals will tear him apart as they pulled against him. Uh, but they couldn't offer an alternative solution, so at hour 79 of Floyd being trapped in the cave... Homer, Miller, and Burden with a special harness go back into the cave with a hundred-foot rope. Homer goes down the Floyd, puts the harness on him, he feeds him, gives him coffee and a shot of whiskey for the nerves. He then gives Floyd a sedative in case they rip off his foot, and Homer gives the okay. And then the three men under Burden's count begin to pull as hard as they can. So Floyd was instantly in unbelievable pain. So his body was being stretched, and all, it was also being raised and pulled upwards so as well as the cave and the gravel not releasing his body his chest is now also being compressed against the ceiling he cried out in so much pain and after a few moments homer realized that this was going to kill him so homer called out to the other men to stop but they didn't hear him so in a panic homer starts pulling in the other direction and actually manages to pull the rope free from the other two men um afterwards he's a all... mighty guy i know That's some strength there I, yeah wow. it was like it was more than like i think it was more than two men too i think they had other volunteers in the cave but yeah homer pulled it free and saved his brother brotherly that... love there mm -hmm. he's who you want on your tug of war team the best brother ever. that or my spelunking gone wrong team <laughs> <You're> spelunking, <laughs> yes you gotta have homer if you're gonna spunk spelunk wrong you need at least one Homer. If Yeah, I'm going to spelunk. I need my skeet. I need my Homer. <laughs> and wait one till of you, each. But you don't need Burden, because he'll try and rope pull you. Yeah, don't get that guy involved. <laughs> so afterwards, they all lay in the cave completely exhausted. And af after gathering enough strength to leave the cave, the three men barely make it back outside, some of them fainting as soon as they make it to the cave entrance. This is when Homer sees another reason for hope. A childhood friend of theirs named Johnny Gerald, another expert caper, 
and who would also help with cave rescues all the time. So here, here's a, another hero in the story. You'll you'll want a Gerald on your team. Trust me when you uh, do spelunking wrong. He went down into the cave, easily made it to Floyd, who was overjoyed when he saw his friend. Floyd apparently said, yes, he will get me out. For the next six hours, Gerald would be down in that cave removing rubble. And before he gave out from exhaustion, he managed to move so much rubble that Floyd could flex his hands and some of his arm. Uh, and he could breathe much easier without the gravel lying on his chest. He still had the rock and some gravel on his legs, but the... But this was a lot of progress. Gerald managed to move over a thousand pounds of rubble in those six hours. So definitely want a Gerald on your team. Oh, yeah. We're up to three now. <laughs> Gerald told some of the gawkers at the front of the cave not to let anyone into the cave besides himself, Homer, and Miller because they were only going to mess things up with being inexperienced with cave diving. Not long after that, Burden returned. And said he wanted to attempt another rope pull with another harness that he acquired, but the crowd fought back against him and refused to let him enter the cave. Burden argued with the crowd. Homer and Gerald were out of commission, out of exhaustion, and Miller was back at work filing stories for his newspaper. So Floyd spent the rest of that morning alone in the dark, cold cave. What, you mean Skeet was filing stories? Yep, Skeet. Okay, Skeet Mil Miller. so Miller, Miller, oh, Skeet Miller, okay. Floyd has been in the cave for 103 hours now. Thanks to Skeet's reporting, the word of Floyd's story was starting to spread all throughout America. Miller didn't care about that, though. He quickly finished his work and rushed back to Sand Cave. He made it back down to Floyd with the help of new electric light bulbs that were put in that lit the way all the way to Floyd himself. Miller Thanks, Thomas Edison. <laughs> yes, he was there himself doing it for yes, floyd he did the install <laughs> he just wasn't quite thin enough to fit down there no tesla came and they started fighting it was a whole thing <laughs> so miller tied the last light bulb around floyd's neck to help keep him warm and spent a few hours clearing most of the rest of the gravel from floyd's body once he was exhausted he took a break but instead of climbing out of the cave he had food passed down to him and ate with floyd he told him all about the people who were reading this his story and the group of people outside the cave, and he asked if Floyd had anything he would like to say to him, or to them. I believe I will go to heaven, but I can tell that I'm to be taken out alive and with both my feet. I want you to tell everybody outside that I love every one of them and I'm happy because so many are trying to help me. Tell them I'm not going to give up, that I'm going to fight and be patient and never forget them. You go out now, but don't leave me too long. I want you here with me, and I'll keep helping all I can to move some of this rock. It was very persuasive. Yeah. <laughs> that was a beautiful um, uh, interview for uh, <laughs> being trapped in a cave for over 100 hours. I'd probably be like, fuck off. Get me out of this stupid fucking cave. And I love that he said, I bet I'll get to keep my feet. <laughs> He was, he apparently really did not want to lose one of his feet. And I think probably because he definitely planned on caving again once he got out of this situation. And he was like, it would be way harder to cave if I had one of my feet missing. But imagine the tourist he could get at his caves if he had a peg leg while spelunking. <laughs> That's true. 
But yeah, so uh, this interview would cause this story to become a huge news sensation. Everyone in America knew about Floyd Collins and were invested in him getting out of the cave. People would crowd around newspaper stands waiting for the next update. Playhouses interrupted scenes to update the audiences of Floyd's condition. Even Congress would take breaks to get updated on where Floyd was. It was a huge sensation, and now all eyes were on this man and the state of Kentucky. A few hours later, Miller was back in the cave and brought along a jack and a crowbar to try and pry the large rock off of Floyd's foot. So... Back to that L shape again, just to help clarify. Floyd is trapped. His feet are at the very end of the capital L. And there is literally no way other than climbing on top of Floyd, which it's such a small area that you really can't, uh, to get to this rock. But Skeets was small enough that he could at least somewhat fit like on top of Floyd. So he takes a crowbar... And he puts the, like, one end of the crowbar underneath the rock. And then he takes a jack and he puts it against the ceiling of the cave and tries to push it down on top of the crowbar to, like, help give the crowbar some strength to move the rock. But this jack was too big, so Miller called for another one. This one was too small, but instead of trying to find the right size jack, Miller just took two wood blocks, stacked them up, place the crowbar on top of them, and then place the jack along the ceiling to start pushing down on the crowbar. Miller would then use the very tips of his fingers in order to crank the jack. And as he did, the jack pushed onto the crowbar and the rock actually moved. Before he could move it enough for Floyd to free his foot, though, one of the wooden blocks fell and the rock fell right back onto uh, to Floyd's foot. Miller would try again and again with Floyd offering words of encouragement the entire time. You can do it, fella. I believe in you, fella. That went on for days. <laughs> no, but it did go on for at least an hour because I think he was in there at midnight. And then around 1 a.m., Miller was exhausted and he had to leave the cave once again. When he exited the cave, he was met by the National Guard. <laughs> so... Along with the National Guard is a man by the name of Henry Carmichael, who is the general superintendent of the Kentucky Rock Asphalt Company, and thought the techniques that were being used in this rescue attempt were too primitive, and he offered up his workers to help get Floyd out. Around 2.30 in the morning, Carmichael sent two surveyors into the cave to assess the stability before Carmichael, could send, uh, before Carmichael would send more of his men in to help. At first, the men were finding that the cave seemed fine. Throughout these few days, people helped bring wood planks to help, like, uh, keep the entrance supported. And, of course, the lights that were strung up throughout the cave helped with the navigation. But when they got to the turnaround, the turnaround room, things became very bleak. Because of all the people burning fires at the opening of the cave and all the warm bodies being pressed up against the walls of the cave while it was being traversed, the water was making the walls unstable and the cave was beginning to collapse. One of the men, Casey Jones, heard Floyd calling for help and couldn't bear to leave him, so he braved the squeeze and made it to Floyd. At this point, the rubble was beginning to fall from the ceiling, and everything in Jones's body was telling him to leave. But he could see Floyd ten feet below him, and Floyd was begging for a drink, saying he was so thirsty. Jones slid down and tried to pour some coffee into the trapped man's mouth, but he refused to drink. 
It took him a few moments, but then Jones realized what was happening. The cave was collapsing, and Floyd, in a panic, was trying to keep Jones there with him so that the, when the cave collapsed, he wouldn't be alone. Jones quickly made his way up the 10-foot chute and through the squeeze, and almost as soon as he did, he heard Floyd begin to cry. He turned around and saw the walls begin to close in, and soon the light coming from the bulb around Floyd's neck was no longer visible, and his cries no longer able to be heard behind all the rubble. The two men exited the cave around 4 a.m. and 114 hours in the cave for Floyd. This is dramatic, man. Yeah, and this all really happened. This, why is there not a movie? Is there a movie? I don't know. I th- no, I think there is a movie. I think I remember seeing that. And then there was also a musical, like an off-Broadway musical, that I kind and of listened to. you've got Casey Jones by Casey The Grateful Jones. Dead. <laughs> right. Definitely. Casey Jones, gotta watch your speed. Oh no, Matilda says no. <laughs> Are you telling me? He, should, he shouldn't watch his speed. He's got to rush. He needs to <laughs> put on the speed. Get on out of that cave, Casey Jones. So, and th- now th- this is going to get a little bit sad. Um, Wednesday morning, Miller, or Skeets, woke up with a renew- renewed energy. He had gotten better tools to help him get Floyd's foot free, and he was certain today was going to be the day. All of that hope would completely disappear as he made it to the turnaround room and saw nothing but a giant pile of stone and rubble in front of him. He tried to move some, but it was swiftly replaced by more falling debris. He could tell that the cave was not the cave was not safe to be in, and after narrowly being missed by a falling rock from the ceiling, he accepted defeat and left the cave. Gerald, who was finally able to go back into the cave himself, began throwing accusations at all the gawkers who came to hang out outside of the cave, and huge fights began over whose fault it was that the cave collapsed and from where to go. Most of Wednesday was wasted fighting. Later that night, under Carmichael's command, Gerald led himself and a crew of men into the cave, and they started removing the rubble from the turnaround room, as well as bringing in wood supports to try and prevent another collapse. After eight hours, Gerald had actually managed to make enough of an opening to see the light from Floyd's light bulb, and to be able to talk to him again. He told Floyd that he would be right back with some equipment and that he was going to come get him out of there. Gerald re-enters the cave at 10.30pm February 4th, 132 hours with Floyd trapped in the cave. That's like six days. Five to six days, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I couldn't even imagine being stuck like that for two hours. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i get stuck in traffic and i start to panic yeah, right? and this guy couldn't move like he couldn't move any of his body yes 132 hours with floyd trapped in the cave he carries his new equipment and food for his friend with a renewed spirit this is it he is going to get floyd out of this cave and when he reaches the turnaround room he would drop everything and fall to his knees there was another cave in and all of the progress that he had made was gone He started to panic and called his friend's name, and he could just barely hear his friend cry back. So he started to quickly grab the pile of rocks and fling rocks behind him. He knew that Floyd couldn't survive much longer, and as he's digging and throwing these rocks around, rocks fell from the ceiling. But Gerald persisted, adrenaline forcing his hands to grab the stones and move them until a rather large rock landed square on Gerald's back. He took this as a sign that he needed to leave before the cave became his tomb as well, and he exited Sand Cave for the very last time without his friend. 
the state would seize control of Collins's rescue and ban everyone from entering the cave. Lieutenant General Denhart was put in charge by the governor of Kentucky and was told the purse strings of Kentucky are open. Ask what you want. Was this because this was a public relations thing? Like, why would the state want to, like, throw all their resources here? I I think it's because all the... It was the third biggest non-political news story, like, in the United States, like, ever, I think, was it. um, And every single person in America was, like, dying to know what happened to him. And, And because of Miller's... And or Skeet's um, interviews with him, they really humanized Floyd. So instead of it just being like a name of some guy, it was like, oh, my, like this guy that I've heard his thoughts and his wishes is trapped in that cave and I want to see him get out. And I, I think that was why Kentucky was like, I need to do this because all eyes were like on this state and him. And they were like, it would look really good for the state of Kentucky, I guess. Uh, if we could get him out well and it's also like this caving is a big business so if it ends happily that's probably generally better for tourism than a man dying in one of the caves oh and this was also right around the time where like radio was starting to be present so this was one of the first ever big news radio stories so it wasn't like people had to wait like a day for the paper like people could get updated right away so i think that was another reason why kentucky was like we need to (laughs) hurry this up and help him out the beginning of the Um, 24 hour news cycle yeah basically (laughs) if only he was stuck in there for 24 hours denhart put carmichael in charge of digging a shaft to get down to floyd since going through the cave was no longer an option carmichael enlisted employees from his kentucky rock asphalt company and got to work they brought in heavy machinery they would use to dig the 55 foot shaft to reach floyd But after spending precious time building this giant mechanical digger thing inside of the cave, uh, they realized that all of that hard work was for nothing. It was gas-powered, and caves suck in oxygen. So if they started to run that machine, the cave would have sucked in all of that gas and suffocate Floyd. So after wasting hours building this thing, they then had to waste hours to dismantle it and then decided that they were going to dig by hand to get down the Floyd. So Way to go, <laughs> government. Yeah, and this made people very angry, like, because even though they they moved, the towns, like, the townspeople weren't allowed to stand near the entrance and they put up, like, a fence around the area so nobody could get in. The townspeople were still, like, around the fence, like, putting in their two cents and they are like, that's never going to work! <laughs> And and they were right about that, at least. But, oh, and Gerald and Homer got in a fight with some of the National Guard. And they actually kicked them off the premises. And they weren't allowed to, like, stand around and watch this rescue mission. I can start uh, to see the musical, like, the chorus hanging out around the <laughs> cave. And it's, I could stage this. Yeah, I need to re-listen to it. I only listened to one or two songs, and they sounded nice, but I couldn't understand what the people were saying. So I was like, I need to listen to this with the lyrics. And I was like, I don't have time for this. But it sounded pretty. <laughs> Homer's body, or not Homer, what's his face? Floyd's body Floyd. is like halfway in the stage. and <laughs> right, They put him down in the, the pit where you'd have the yes. orchestra. Yes, yeah. yeah, so you could just see his head pops up every once in a while to sing a song, and he goes back down. 
Carmichael deduced that his 75 volunteers uh, could dig up to two feet of soil per hour working around the clock. And so he thought that they could reach Floyd with a 55 foot deep shaft within 30 hours. They decided Floyd could potentially live that much longer. And so with Floyd now being in the cave for 146 hours, they began digging. At first, progress was fast and they were on schedule. But once they moved through the softer dirt and they reached the stone and had to start using pickaxes, uh, this is where the progress began to falter. The shaft was becoming smaller, so only two people could fit in the hole at once. Then on top of that, it was unusually warm, so the ice melting and becoming water was making the shaft unstable as well, so they had to worry about getting caved in by the own shaft that they were digging. Um, so, the 30 hours Carmichael said it would take to get uh, to dig the 55-foot pit to Floyd came and went, and the shaft was only 17 feet deep. Floyd has now been in the cave for 215 hours, and he's more famous than ever. The National Guard set up a barbed wire fence to keep people away from the cave entrance, but that didn't stop tourists from coming to Cave City. The city that normally has a population of 690 had around 10,000 people plow through the city and to hopefully see Floyd come out of the cave alive. Banks ran out of money, the hotels were fully booked, restaurants ran out of food, and locals began charging insane amounts of money to sleep in their bathtubs. Yeah, it's the not cheap to sleep in my bathtub. <laughs> it's an yeah, expensive they're... option for on my Airbnb. I don't even bother emptying mine. It's going to be full of water, but you can sleep in it. Right. You got to pay extra for that. Pay the right amount, I'll join you. Oh, right. No. Oh, ooh. Well, that's but not only on my... for the sake of bathing. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I'll be nice. I'll wash your hair for you, scrub your back, and then you know we get out. It's a PG thirteen. Well, I get affair. out, and then they go to bed. Um. So on top of that, like all the people in the town itself, uh, people were actually going to like the field, like Collins's family's like farm field the cars to get to the field were like miles or the line of cars was like miles long. And as Floyd is down there, 60 feet underneath the ground trapped. And these 75 men are like a couple feet away, digging this giant hole. These 10,000 people were having a literal carnival right outside of the cave. There were food booths selling, like, hot dogs and hamburgers. Moonshiners were selling their booze. There were jugglers. There were choirs singing hymns. There were scammers taking advantage of all the chaos and families bringing, plank uh, bringing blankets and picnicking. Apparently, there was even somebody selling, like, balloons that said Sand Cave on them. Like, <laughs> these people were legit having a party while this poor man <laughs> is down there suffering. That's nuts. That is crazy. I gotta say, I don't think I would bring my family to picnic in the same area where moonshiners are selling booze and choirs are singing <laughs> hymns. That's too much. It's not a good yeah. picnic location. <laughs> but there's a juggler. Yeah. All right. That's sort of like go. You like go to Disney World, but you know, like on the way in, you have to get by all the like guys trying to I don't know sell you dildos. <laughs> That's I'll pass. Yeah, no, oh, Disneyland, yeah, no thanks. <laughs> Let's just go to Universal, guys. This is not worth it. <laughs> Despite all of this craziness, 
um, the volunteers kept digging, and they had hope that he was still alive. And where did this hope come from? Well, a radio amplifier had been jerry-rigged to the wire that was connected to uh, Floyd's light bulb. Um, so basically, they believed that the amplifier, or yeah, no, they believed that the amplifier could detect vibrations whenever Collins would move. And so when they used the amplifier, they found that it crackled every or uh, 20 times every minute. And that's like the the rate of normal breathing. So they were like, oh, my God, he's still breathing. Um, so they used that. And they were like, we need to get down there fast. But progress was still very slow going. But they were like, he's alive. He's alive. So, it, it, as if it couldn't get any worse for Floyd. It does. <laughs> that Monday, some rumors started to spread that Floyd being trapped in the cave was a hoax. Or that his family actually wanted him to die. And that's why he hadn't been rescued. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. So one of his cons- one of the conspiracy theories uh, being that Floyd leaves the cave each night and then sneaks back in in the morning and that this was all done as a publicity stunt to get more people to Cave City. Two people well, even mission went accomplished. As- yeah. I mean, they did. They got 10,000 people yeah. to show up. <clears throat> but two people even went as far as to send a telegraph as if they were Floyd himself to tell his mother that he was no longer trapped in the cave and that the whole thing was a hoax. Um, Never minding that his mother has been, like, dead for a long, long time, so even if this was a hoax, Floyd would never have done that. But anyway, like, it's not a hoax. This man is trapped down there. Um, And because of these rumors and the news cycle, the 24-hour news cycle, wanting news about Floyd, but there being none, took these rumors and ran with it. And soon enough, now the government was like, or like the state of Kentucky was like, holy shit, did these people like lie to us? So they brought in Homer Miller, so his brother Skeets Miller, and Gerald, his friend, and Floyd's father Lee, and Burden, the stupid firefighter guy who tried to do the rope pull, and they interrogated them. I mean, I was just going to say Skeet, never a liar. (laughs) No, Skeet tells the truth. (laughs) Burden, though, I don't know if we can trust him. No, (laughs) but Skeet... We are we stand for skeet. We do. We stand skeet. <laughs> um, so it's like literally at hour three hundred and sixty of Floyd being trapped in this cave. They were so fifteen days. Yep. They uh they were proven innocent because obviously, <laughs> but like meanwhile they're they're friend and brother and son is down there dying and they have to go and prove that that they weren't lying about trying to rescue him like that's oh man that is so fucked up to me (laughs) like so by this time the shaft had finally managed to reach 55 feet deep they started tunneling to the side to break into where floyd was trapped at this point the light bulb that was their lifeline to Floyd had gone out a few days prior. I think it was like four days before this, but they were so close that they had to keep going. Um, they genuinely thought he could still be alive. So at 411 hours, 17 days trapped in the cave, the volunteers managed to breach sand cave. They shine a flashlight around the pitch black hole and there something shiny reflects back at them. It was Floyd's gold tooth. His mouth hung limp, and the volunteer knew instantly that Floyd was dead. 
So not a not a happy ending. Oh. He so the volunteer was lifted out of the hole and everyone broke down. Den Hart decided to have the shaft filled in because it was unstable and could collapse while they were trying to retrieve Floyd's corpse. Um, so the hole was filled in and everyone left the scene defeated. Kentucky closed their uh, coin purse or their purse strings and refused to pay any of the volunteers for all the hours of work that they did to try and save this man. Um, the coroner would later claim that Collins had been dead for approximately three days. So if accurate, Collins died shortly after his uh, light bulb went out, which was his last link to the world above. It's a coincidence. Sounds like shoddy engineering on Edison's part. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I, I think blame Edison made... for this. Mm-hmm. They were I think thinking... he must. <laughs> well, they were thinking that um, the warmth of the light bulb might have been like the thing really helping keeping him alive. And then like, he probably lost all hope entirely because I'm sure he couldn't tell that they were like digging down to him and stuff. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, that poor man suffered enough, but that means that he genuinely was down there for like 400 something hours before he finally died. Like, Oh Mm. my God, that's a like a literal nightmare, but the story is not over yet. And it only gets fucking weirder. So (laughs) Floyd isn't still, um, not done getting shit all over on by the universe. So the owner of Sand Cave, who called himself a friend to Floyd, put up a sign that said 200 yards away, the body of Floyd Collins imprisoned in Sand Cave. And he would charge people 50 cents to come inside the entrance and gawk at the hole that, like, the government dug that was filled in. I mean, they didn't have Netflix or anything. <laughs> yeah, they should have put a sign on it and said, here lied Floyd. Parentheses, no longer here. (laughs) Well, that's not as much fun. You want to imagine. Maybe put the he's no longer here on the back of the sign. Yeah, on your way out the door. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. They see it and like, oh, I paid 50 cents for this. Mm. Yep. Well, Homer, I mean, uh, not Homer, sorry. Floyd's body was still down in the hole. Oh, okay. Sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. So the government filled in the hole. They thought it was too dangerous to get the body out. Gotcha. So, but they like investigated it or something. The coroner yeah, had be, opinions. Yes. The coroner had okay. opinions. I will say Floyd does make it out of the hole, but we'll be I'll get to that in a second. So maybe that's when the coroner did his job. <laughs> I don't know how long you can tell hmm. a body's been dead for for how long before it's like all just gunk and rot, but anyway. So now the owner of Sand Cave is having people come into the cave to gawk at the hole where Floyd is buried 55 feet down, 60 feet down below them. Homer really wanted to get his brother out of the cave. So he ended up going on an eight-month-long vaudeville tour and raised enough money to dig out the shaft once again and remove Floyd's body from the cave. So they did. What did he do? Sing and dance about his dead brother? No. I mean... Sort of, but he didn't sing and dance, but he did go and he he apparently told stories about his brother when they were kids and about their life. And then he explained um, in firsthand like detail what it was like in the cave and trying to get the brother out and all like the hardships that they went through and all, all the hopes and the downs and stuff like that. And he also... So like, this is ended... act three of the musical. Yeah. I yeah, Probably. Yeah. So... We... <laughs> We thought it was Floyd's story, but it's really Homer's because Floyd dies in Act Two. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't anyway, know. sorry, well, you were saying. Floyd, Floyd isn't done yet. Floyd still has oh. some things to do. But um, he's just a body at this point. <laughs> but he is just a body at this point. Ho- Homer's doing things. He's Homer's just a body, yes. but Homer? nobody's going to keep him down. Oh, there's your song. That's the name of our tune in Act 3. <laughs> He's just a body, but nobody's gonna keep him down. No, <laughs> not keep him down. Nobody, nobody keeps this body down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he told their story, and then he would end it with like a, hey, if you donate to me, I'm gonna get my brother out of there. And people did. And yeah, so they they got him out of that pit. It took him a couple of days, but they like dug through it again. And they went in, this time... Uh, on the opposite side so they went in um from the side where his feet were so they were actually able to get the rock off of his foot and floyd got to leave the cave with both of his feet so he was right about one thing Hmm. um they buried him right outside of the family home with a stalactite as the headstone Miller, or Skates, would end up getting an offer for $50,000 in 1925, or 1927, um, at this point, from the Chautauqua Chautauqua Lecture Circuit. Yeah, this was a big deal back in the day when people used to go and listen to lectures for, like, fun. (laughs) Yeah, but he turned it down. He didn't want it. He just stayed right there in Louisville, Kentucky, or Louisville, Kentucky. He did, however, win a Pulitzer Prize for his work on the Collins case. So Skeets, overall, great guy. Skeets came out okay. Yeah, it just—I think he was genuinely so upset about Floyd dying that he was like, "Nope, I'm good. I'll stay in my tiny little corner of the world." Two years later, the family was struggling to get by, and a dentist by the name of Dr. Harry B. Thomas made Lee Collins an offer of $10,000 to buy his family home from him. Lee signed the deal, not realizing that there was a clause that said everything on the property then belonged to him. So this man, Harry B. Thomas, the dentist, dug up Floyd's grave, stuck his body into a glass coffin, and then put it back into Sand Cave. And then sold tickets for people to come and see him once again trapped in the cave. Is that legal? Isn't that desecrating a corpse? Because he, like, because he even, he apparently in the contract that Lee signed put in a clause that said it was okay for him to do that. So we can just give our dead relatives to people? To well, dentists. <laughs> to dentists. As, exclusive, as, only medical professionals. Yeah, exactly. As far as I know, you can... You can get a permit to bury your loved ones in your own yard. So if that is the case and they had documentation permitting that they can put his corpse in their yard, I guess you can exhume it if you're a crazy dentist. <laughs> you're hmm. a crazy dentist? I feel like this is on the very edge of the law. Yeah, but it was also like it was 1927 and anything goes. Yeah, it feels like the wild west to me. Like, were there any laws <laughs> at all? <laughs> Yeah, I look forward to writing the song for this dentist. <laughs> you don't have to. You just pull. Uh, you'll be a dent, or just pull yeah. the song "Dentist" from Little oh, Shop yes, of Horrors. That's, that's right. That's what right. I was thinking. This fucking crazy dentist is like, yes, I will ter- bury this man in the. <laughs> and you'll be a money. success. <laughs> <laughs> as if he didn't have enough money as a dentist. Don't dentists make enough money? This he made enough to well. drop ten thousand dollars. That's so. true. To then mm. desecrate a corpse. <laughs> 
So, it's a high price tag for desecration. Yep. It's an investment plan. It, it really was, though. <laughs> and it fucking worked. So, yeah, he would charge people money to come and see Floyd's corpse, and people went constantly. People loved it. It was like a huge tourist attraction. I'm sure he made back way more than $10,000. I don't know that, but... Um, but apparently it was a really popular thing. And the family, of course, was horrified. But when they tried to take the dentist to court, the court sided with the dentist. Dentists can't beat them in court. All their <laughs> friends are lawyers. So, and then it just gets even fucking weirder from here. So, two years later, 1929, Floyd is Great been... Depression. Yeah. I guess. Well, we're going to have a stock market crash. Yes. Well, Floyd had more of an issue with compression. <laughs> Ooh. Oh. But so, uh, it's 1929. So Floyd's corpse has been on display, I think, for like two years, a year, maybe. Um, so two men snuck into Sand Cave late at night and stole Floyd's corpse. They, hmm. they, <laughs> yes. We don't know who these men are. <laughs> But they took him to Kentucky's Green River, cut off his right leg, the one that was trapped under the rock, and attempted to chuck him into the river. <laughs> he, however, did not make it that far and became entangled in a bush and was just left there. See, now we can use uh, the Cretan song, Green River. So <laughs> we can really do this as a jukebox musical, I think. <laughs> okay, but... But well, why didn't they try... I thought that... Why did they steal it if they were just going to chuck him in the river? I don't... Idea. Nobody. They're like trying to like set him free. Nobody really. <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe, but they also stole his fucking foot. <laughs> they wanted to keep that. <laughs> and I, nobody really knows, and nobody knows how he ended up in the bush. Like, like because they're assuming that these men tried to throw him into the river, failed, and left him in a bush. <laughs> but that's you just have to go right next to the river i don't know well maybe that, maybe they dragged him out of the coffin there god this guy's been dead for a hot minute but he's still heavy let's cut off some of his limbs well this is a lot of work it's getting late i've got to go to work in the morning let's toss him in the river he's still heavy let's put him in a bush that's where you get the popular expression a foot in the hand is worth a floyd in the bush <laughs> It's okay. He probably won't listen to this. No. Right. But, and it also, what's worse, too, is like Floyd was so adamant about leaving the cave with both of his legs. And then mm, one of his legs fucking yeah. got taken. And nobody ever found out where the leg went or who these two people oh, are. So his really? leg is just. It's still out there. <laughs> his leg is still out there somewhere. Probably in some. Maybe the dentist kept it. <laughs> well, Savannah, I've got news for you. Take a look under your chair. <laughs> oh, my God. How did you know? I'm surprised you didn't notice the smell sooner. <laughs> it's going to be bones at this yeah, point. At this point. Yeah, um, were they doing any sort of preservation techniques while he was in the glass coffin? Was like the glass coffin full of formaldehyde or something? I think that I'm pretty sure that they embalmed him. Okay. Mm, that's um, all right. But yeah, so the next morning, the dentist shows up and is like, um, the body is not here. <laughs> where did it go? So he calls the police and they send out bloodhounds to find the body. And they did with the leg missing. And so, yep, they then put Floyd back in the cave 
in a new coffin that was not made out of glass and then chained it up well and tight so that no one could steal him away again. And there Floyd stayed. As he decomposed, the rot from his body would transfer to the coffin. And so every now and then they would have to, it would have to be replaced. And they ended up replacing the coffin four times. So well, he could afford it. Yes. But eventually the public stopped going or I don't know. Maybe people were like, oh, this is kind of messed up. <laughs> but there, but Colin, Floyd Colin stayed in that fucking cave for 32 years. And then in 1961, the U.S. government finally purchased Sand Cave, um, who was still, or Collins was still inside of it, and they completely closed access to the public. And after that, I forgot, 32 years later uh, was when the U.S. government bought it and turned it into a national park. Like, it's Mammoth Cave National Park or whatever. But it wasn't until 1989 that the body was reinterred at the request of the Collins family, and then um, they buried him at the Mammoth Cave Baptist Church Cemetery. So it just sat, he sat in the cave all that time? He did. Was that 28 years? Uh, I mean, after from the From 61 to 89, yeah. Yeah, the, an additional 28 yeah. years. They, the government didn't think that to have the, the body in the glass coffin should probably be, you well, know. No longer in a glass coffin at this point, but at one that is perpetually rotting. Right, yeah. So, yeah, so he died in the cave 1925. Two years later, I think, they got him out and buried him in the front lawn. And then the dentist in 1929 dug him up, put him in the cave. So from 1929 to 1989, except for his one-night stint out in the wild. In the Green River. <laughs> in the Green River, he was in that cave. Mm. Mm. But... And honestly, too, like, when I was watching that YouTube video that I was talking about, um, I was literally like, I'm going to drive to Kentucky right now and break that man out of this cave. (laughs) 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 But, uh, but yeah, that is the ending to Floyd's story. And just genuinely such a weird, strange ride. Like, I, I could not believe what I was watching. It's really upsetting to think that, it wasn't until 1989 that his family really got closure. They had like a taste of it. And then a dentist came and was like, nah, nah, I got this. Don't worry. Yeah. Like the fact that, Oh, I'm sorry. No, no. I was just saying, I was just meaning to say, like, I think that's part of the reason why the story is just so absurd. It's because like, not only did he suffer so much when he was alive, but then like, they wouldn't even let this man rest after he was dead. And Rob, the, you're you're ten years my senior, so like yeah. the the last time he was moved, you were like five or so, give or take, yeah, just wild. So it's a, I mean, but we can't forget. I think in this that none of this is possible, particularly like the after death story, without the tourist coming to this area specifically for the purpose, or at least in part, of seeing the corpse. Yes. And wanting to see that, like, the dentist is able to profit off of this. It reminds me, I I did my master's work in Gettysburg on tourism there, and the original tourists to Gettysburg came in the days right after the battle. This was, like, the bloodiest conflict in the whole Civil War. The streets were lined with corpses, and there were some, like, photographers would go around posing the dead bodies. They 
there was one woman who stole a hand from a soldier. I don't know if she, how she detached it or if it was detached. You know, maybe the soldier had been hit by an artillery shell or something. Uh, but people did some really creepy stuff. And we are generally, human beings can be pretty damn creepy. We can be pretty macabre, pretty spooky. Like we get up to some creepy stuff on the internet still today. Like some, like true crime, I don't want to harsh your whatever, yuck your yum, but some of that can be kind of creepy. Some of the way podcasters talk about true crime, some of the way true crime fans get engaged in the cases of real people who've suffered and died. Yeah. It's, it's it has that similar vibe to it. You feel like you're gawking at someone else's like horrific, terrible pain. Yeah. I mean, and, and maybe that's why the story is still fascinating to us to this day, but I, I'd like to think that I wouldn't have gone to see this man's dead body. Me too. I, I <laughs> but don't, it's I mean... hard to say because it's like, it's not like today where we have all this information and stuff like that. Like, I don't know. Did you watch the, uh, what was it? The, the serial killer? Do you, do you watch serial killer media? Do you watch serial killer reenactments and that sort of thing? Um, not sometimes. I'm more so like documentaries. I don't like it when it's actors because it feels weird to me. Like, I, I feel like I'd rather just have like the facts than seeing it turned into this like weird story like i remember i tried to watch the one where it was i think it was zach efron as ted bundy and then right. they were like they went to go adopt the dog and then the, all the dogs were like growling at him and barking at him and i was like this is fucking stupid <laughs> like, so. i don't know i don't think you're the kind of person that would have engaged in this kind of dark tourism i do like listening to these stories though but I, I think but it's, it's it, you're listening from like a historical perspective. You're not listening because you're you're chasing the thrill of it or like, no. you know, because I, I would never do this as a matter of fact. And this might be a hot take, but I say anyone who wants to climb Mount Everest is a fucking asshole. <laughs> so, <laughs> I agree. Yeah. honey. I mean, I, I would I, also I mean, never do this, but dentist school is very expensive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I, I always say I don't understand these people that risk life and limb for nothing. Yeah, because that's what but, it feels like. But we're artists, you know, like we also will get up on stage, which is a thing that people don't, you know, are terrified of doing. So, you know, we might look at Mount Everest or whatever, it's mountain climbing and say, ah, it's silly, but they probably would say the same thing about us. Yeah, but at least, you know, we're alive at the end of the day. <laughs> well, we may be embarrassed if we've cocked it up, but we're still alive. <laughs> No, I, yeah, I agree. Um, most of these stories, too, when I listen to them, the the people do make it out. But I think I, I think for the most part, I just find it fascinating how difficult it is to rescue these people, and then it makes me angry at those people because I'm like, look at all these people that you made suffer in order to help save you. I don't know. Yeah. And I wasn't mad at Floyd because like. Floyd was kind of like a fluke, especially because like he apparently could get himself out of pretty much any jam. And but I mean, this one was just too much. And a big thank you to my sources. The 1925 cave rescue that captivated the nation by Lucas Riley on the mentalfloss.com. And then of course we have the tragedy at Sand Cave. From the nationalparkservice.gov. The National Parks one 
was really useful in helping keeping track of when things happened because at the very end they have like an actual timeline that tells you day by day what happened and what they did to rescue Floyd. So that was super useful. And then the way that, um, let's see, Lucas Riley tells the story on the Mental Floss article is just like amazing. It's it's like reading a movie. It's a fantastic read. So I highly recommend it. There's a lot of things that I didn't mention that are in that article. So definitely check it out. It's it's such a fascinating story, even more so than the things that I shared. Thank you for riding along with us. Please watch your step as you exit and remember to take all personal belongings with you. So would you please read this, Luke? I believe I will go to heaven, but I can feel that I am taken out alive, and with both my feet, I want you to tell everybody outside that I love every one of them, and I'm happy because so many are trying to... <laughs> Thank you, Matilda. <laughs> Floyd had his baby. That's, a, that's an unknown part of the story, that Floyd was accompanied by a baby, a young yeah. girl child. I'll, I'll start it again from the top.